Ryan, are you there? Hello, Michael. Hello, Internet. Hello, world. Hello, worldwide Internet. Welcome to another edition of the Buck and Sack Show. I'm Michael Sachs in San Francisco. Ryan Buckley, you're outside Portland, Oregon. How are you? Uh, I'm well. It is very cold up here. It's in the low 20s. Ooh. It was a little icy this morning. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, a little frigid, but not uh, too much precipitation, so that's okay. Well, it's the opposite here. It isn't particularly cold, but it's raining a lot again. It's been raining for like 24 hours. It's the rainiest winter I can remember since moving to the Bay Area uh, 11 years ago. I mean, it's just been nonstop. That drought that we had a couple years ago is uh, is in the past. Supposedly, there's a ton of snow up in Tahoe. I'm going to be going up to Tahoe uh, well, weekend of March 22nd, so I'm looking forward okay. to that. I hope there's still some snow up there, but I'd, uh... I'm actually going to be up there, in, uh, not not this coming weekend, but the following, so I'll be Oh, up you'll have snow for about. sure then. That'll be awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, let's get going here, man. It's, uh, what is it? I let's usually it. say the date. It's Tuesday night, February the 26th. It's, uh, just two yep, days left. It. In February, I got to be honest, I was looking at my calendar tonight, and I was thinking that this weekend was like the last weekend in February, but it's actually the already the first weekend in March. I had completely added a weekend to the calendar in my mind. So we're actually a weekend closer to March Madness than I thought, which I'm excited about, but uh, we'll get to some Amen. in a little bit. Uh, what's your good of the week? Uh, my good of the week is we will find out we are neither one of us are sticking on the path of sports. Uh, no. Mine is uh, the world of precision cooking that I have recently entered. And I, I don't know if you're familiar with this at all, um, but we, we've talked plenty on this podcast about uh, about food, about yeah. grilling, about cooking, and different methods and things like that. I, I got something for my birthday a little less than a month ago. It's pretty cool, and I don't think I've discussed it on here before. It's it's called a sous vide. Uh, it's S O U S, like sous chef. Vide, V I D E. It's French. Yeah, French. And basically, it's like a it, it's like an electric wand for those who aren't familiar that you you put in like a pot of water, and uh, it heats the water to the exact uh, specific temperature of your choosing to within a half a degree. And then what you do is you take whatever it is you want to cook. Uh, and you vacuum seal it or Ziploc seal it, and you just throw it in this water bath that is the exact temperature that you want to cook it to. And then you just finish your, if it's meat or veggies or whatever, you finish it on a grill, on a cast iron for a minute or two. But it is the most foolproof way to perfectly cook a, a piece of meat, a piece of fish, a piece of chicken, uh, because you you literally cannot overcook it. Because the, the the worst that happens, and there isn't even really a worst, but you just leave it in the bath for too long, but it doesn't overcook because it never actually gets over that high temperature of, let's say you're doing you know, a medium rare steak and you're doing it at 134 degrees or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's just not going to get higher than that. So you don't run, there's no risk of, of going overshooting the mark, gets you perfectly tender meat all the time. And then on top of it, it's it's really easy to then prepare the rest of your meal because you can kind of just forget about that and leave it. You don't have to babysit it at the stove or keep checking on it in the oven. You can just, just let it go. And most of these things, most of the items I've put in there uh, take between 45 minutes and 90 minutes. But I've done, I've now done flank steak. I've done mahi-mahi, uh, swordfish, Tonight, I actually did asparagus in there, uh, and they came out perfect, perfectly al dente. 
They were uh, kind of marinating while they were in the bag cooking, which is another thing you can do. You can put, you know, olive oil, lemon juice, garlic, salt, pepper, whatever you want with whatever you're putting in the bag and it'll cook with that stuff, uh, direct contact while it cooks. So mm. it's pretty remarkable. And for, for someone like myself who kind of cooked for one for many years, um, until about three years ago, I, ne I didn't really get that adventurous with cooking. So I didn't really feel like I, my chops were all that great when I got into uh, the relationship that I'm in now, we, we have started sharing cooking duties. I mean, I can hold my own, but, you know, I was never trained or anything. This one tool, which is, I think they cost about 150 bucks, uh, but already totally worth it. Um, I know that, I think you said you guys got one of those instant pots, which yeah. we have as well, and, yeah. and love it. But as far as just uh, precise cooking on proteins, check out the sous vide. It is a, a game changer. Uh, good breakdown. I had heard of sous vide and I had in my mind an image of what it was where you basically put it in like a, a, a glorified Ziploc bag and then that went in the water. I didn't know yep. about the precision aspect of it. Um, that's really interesting. I have two main questions. Do, do you mm -hmm. put the bag that the meat or whatever the, the food is in, do you put that just like in a regular pot of water? Yeah, you can put it in any container that holds water. So, like, you'll see, you'll even see uh, in 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 mass kitchens. Like, if people are using a sous vide in a restaurant, they'll take kind of one of those, um, like, not plexiglass, but plastic clear bins that almost look like a, a dish bin or something like that. And because you can you can heat any really amount of water, it just takes longer the more you have. But you can do a pot, you can do a, a box, a bowl, I mean, re really whatever you have. Mm -hmm. So you could cook a, like a large piece of meat, like you could cook like a pork shoulder this way? Totally. Yeah. As long yeah. as you have a, a big enough bath for it to fit in. Right. Yes. Uh, and I, I have a friend who I saw that would, took a, a rack of ribs and cut them in half, and he, he sous vide his ribs in a, in a big old pot. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, the, the other question I had, I, I was just a little confused. You talked about the marination. Do you marinate at all before, or it marinates while it's cooking? Uh, both are options. I so I've done it both ways where I've marinated something for, you know, I've marinated chicken or something like that for four, six hours, but then I will I'll take it out of the marinade, uh, to cook, but you can also, if you haven't pre-marinated anything, you can just cook it in the marinade because it's not going to burn. It's not going to go over like it would, uh, maybe if you're doing it on the stovetop. So you can, you know, we did swordfish the other night and we put in olive oil, lemon juice, parsley, salt and pepper and garlic all in the bag with the swordfish and it just cooked with all that. Gotcha. Sounds interesting. Uh, certainly worth trying. You know, I think that this is uh, this is a, a hot trend in U.S. cooking that obviously came from France. I wonder how far back it goes in France or if it's a new method mm -hmm. there, too. I suspect it's not a new method in France. Interesting how these trends sort of pop up. You know, you wonder how long uh, it's been a staple of French cuisine for how long before it gets to America. That's just kind of an interesting thing to me, how those things kind of work. Um, but that sounds awesome. Um, I'm not sure I'm quite ready to give it a try. I, I've still <laughs> only used my Instant Pot once, uh, which regret I'm regretful to admit. Um, you know, I just, like many people, I'm typically in a hurry when I'm cooking. I'm just getting home from work or doing something with the kids. And mm -hmm. the kids are like, have a very short window between 
when they're kind of <laughs> hungry and really hungry and really start complaining. And need food. And they just yeah. need food. Yeah. And, and you know. But this would be good for like weekends. You know, totally. if you if you had, and not that you're not busy on weekends too, but let's say you, you had like a perfect steak. You could throw it in there for like two hours at the yeah. right temp and then just go do something, come back, sear it on each side for 45 seconds and you're good to go. Yeah. That sounds awesome and uh, interesting too. I'm glad that you've gotten into it. So, uh, good good of the week. Uh, as you mentioned, my good of the week is not sports related. Um, I was trying to come up with a sports related one, and I just haven't been able to. Ryan, you know, we keep talking; it's kind of a dead, dead period in sports. There's still plenty going on. Um, I was gonna, excuse me, I was gonna talk about college hoops, but we've done that. We're gonna talk so much more about it in the coming week. So, my good of the week is uh, just so. I'm going to just file it under the heading of dieting. Um, I've, mm-hmm. I've toiled with various diets over the years, as I think many people have. I just think on some level it's kind of fun and interesting and exciting to try different things and just change it up, um, the, what, what you eat or don't eat. But this diet that I'm in the midst of now is something I've never done before. It's something I've been wanting to do for probably nine or ten years. You know, talk about trends. I feel like uh, Sober October has become a big one in October where people don't drink for the month of October. And then more even than that, I hear people going all of January, kind of like a New Year's resolution, uh, going without something, or in this case, going without alcohol. Um, January... It's not a good month for me to lay off the sauce just because I'm so into the NFL playoffs. You know, I, I want to have a couple of beers while I'm watching the NFL playoffs. So I chose uh, to go sober the day after starting the day after the Super Bowl. So the Monday after the Super nice. Bowl uh, through my birthday, which is March 10th. So about mm-hmm. five weeks of not drinking any alcohol. I've, Like I said, I've never really tried it going without alcohol for that length of time. I don't think ever. Um, and I, I'm really enjoying it, Ryan. Um, I don't want to come across as preachy or anything. It's for me, it's just a personal thing. Uh, it's just something I wanted to do. I really don't feel like I have any sort of problem with alcohol. Although, you know, I think even the most liberal doctor would say I probably have too many drinks just in regards to my health, not in regards to an addiction. And, you know, I was doing some self-assessment and sort of thinking about the number of drinks I have in a week, and it, it's it's probably, it's not probably, it's too many. Um, and, you know, I enjoy drinking. I enjoy, you know, we've detailed it on this show, and those who are listening who know me know this, but those who aren't, you know, I enjoy heady beer, I enjoy uh, red wine, and I enjoy a martini. Um, and I, I, you know, I like to drink, particularly when I'm watching sports, which I do a lot of. And I don't drink a ton. You know, certainly I will, but on a regular Wednesday night, like tonight, for example, uh, if Syracuse was playing North Carolina, I would have probably had a glass of wine or two. But tonight I didn't. I enjoyed some sparkling water. And I've just really been enjoying this period. You know, I feel like I've been getting up to work out almost every morning before I go to work. I feel like I've been eating a little better, although normally I, I feel like my, my eating intake is pretty good. Uh, it's really just the alcohol that I feel like is the one part of my diet where it's not really where it should be. So I've just been enjoying this this break mentally and physically. I'm feeling great, and it's just sort of made me step back a little bit and assess uh, 
my normal intake. And I don't know if I'll make any long-term changes down the road, um, but I'm just enjoying this break from it. I've got another, I don't know, week and a half to go. I'm really not feeling any temptation at all to, to break this, uh, and I'm enjoying it. So that, that's my good of the week, dieting in a, in a five-week self-imposed ban from alcohol. Yeah, I did this also for the first time ever. I'd never, I feel like I'm in a really similar boat to the boat that you're in, in that I've never felt that I've had a problem, uh, you know, an addiction. There are definitely uh, times or uh, periods in which I, I had probably too many, not probably, did have too many drinks in an individual week uh, or weeks or months at a time. But uh, that hasn't really been an issue. I, don't, I shouldn't say an issue, it's never been an issue. It hasn't really been a theme for me as much in the last year or so, mostly because I'm now waking up at about 4 a.m. every day to get to work and even one or two uh, cocktails to finish the night. Not the not the best thing when you got to get up that early. But I, I agree with you. It, it feels great. It I did. I, so I did it all of January for the first time, really just to kind of kickstart a little healthier trend for the new year. And And really, my fiance and I have both been sticking to a much healthier lifestyle in the new year. I've struggled with the exercise part because I had this uh, knee injury that I documented in an earlier yeah. podcast, a How's snowboarding doing, accident. So it's <laughs> it's coming along, I guess I would say. It's it doesn't cause me any pain right now. I can I can walk, I can even jog in like a straight line. But my, I don't feel that stable from side to side and, and like agility wise. So a misstep, a twist or a turn, I could just be doing nothing athletic at all. And I'll feel it kind of twinge or tweak. Like I could be, you know, putting dishes away in the kitchen or bending down to like grab the laundry or something and I'll feel it in a weird way. So it's, I'm definitely not back yet, so to speak, but we have been uh, making some good health choices. My fiance has lost about ten pounds. I've lost about nineteen since the new year. Nice, and uh, and and, it, and I'm actually and you know we're headed towards our wedding towards the at the end of May, and I I may do something even further to try and kickstart this. And I'm not when I say kickstart. I guess it's already been kickstarted, but to take it up a notch, and it that up would be notch. the keto like emerald. Yeah, the keto diet. I don't know if you're familiar at all with the keto Very diet, familiar. and it's I'm not. I'm not a big trend or fad diet guy because mostly I think if it's not sustainable, like not forever, but long term, then it's not realistic that you're going to take off or you're going to keep off whatever you take off with that. But knowing that we kind of have this date on the horizon and are planning on continuing with our good health, uh, you know, through that date, I'm thinking (laughs) next month I may give keto a shot and there's a chance I may go sober March or even April up until my bachelor party but it felt good and to your point now I'm just rambling but it's it's one of those things that it's a nice reset I think and exactly. it's a nice reset and both both mentally and physically as you mentioned so I guess that was just my really long way of saying it's a good thing if you're if you're up for it and certainly it you know doesn't have to be anyone everyone's thing but most people I know who have done it have uh, appreciated the way they felt afterwards. Totally. And I reset, I think, is a great way to say it. Uh, that's a term I've been using. And quite honestly, I don't really even know how to describe what I mean by that. Uh, but I think it just, it, it, it gives me perspective on my overall 
all my life, really. I mean, it, it, it's been a time of, of perspective and reflection and really sort of what's good for me and what's not. You know, uh, I'm going to be 41 here in two weeks, and I will say, as somebody who has drank for all of his adult life, the hangover thing has become a big problem for me um, in the last <laughs> year or so. I don't mean to. I don't mean to laugh at your plight. No, it, it's, but I, it's I know real. what you mean and, you know, by they, they, th- yeah, they I, get worse. They do, and, a lot and, worse and it's with time. been progressive. And you know, uh, this is not a breaking news story in any way. But I think for me, it really has become pronounced lately. And it's you know, it's not even the big nights. You know, if I go out and have four. IPAs. There's a pretty good chance I'm waking up with a pretty good size hangover. And even when I pay careful attention and drink a lot of water and stop early and all that, the the stuff that used to work doesn't really work anymore. And it, and it, and it takes a long time for me to get to feeling good. You know, it used to be you go out and have a nice brunch or you know, cook cook some bacon and eggs and a coffee and you're good to go. That doesn't work anymore either. You know, it's not until three, four in the afternoon now that I start to feel back to my normal self. And, yeah. You know, as a father, I really don't like that. And uh, I think yeah. more than anything, that's been the thing that I, that's been weighing the most heavily on my mind. And it's just, I think it's, you know, a combination of, of all of that stuff and age, too, that, that I think has been brought into focus with this break. Uh, And I do want to comment on the keto diet. I am really familiar with it. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I remember I did the Atkins diet when it was big and that was probably 15 years ago. It was really long time ago. Yeah, you know, Michael, I did the Atkins diet when I was in high school. I think I was a junior in high school and, uh, and that, so that would have been about 15 years ago. Yeah. And and I found that really cool. Um, I, it really worked and I, and I worked yeah. out like a maniac when I was on it too. And it was great. And then, you know, I read the South beach diet book probably 10 years after that. So five years ago, and that was big. And I thought that was great. And same too with the keto diet. You know, I don't really eat many carbs at all, uh, generally mm-hmm. speaking. And so I kind of eat a keto diet just by nature. And I don't, I eat Naturally. no sweets anyway. And I, and I'm very careful with my carbs. Um, I wouldn't say that my body is in ketosis, but I am very con cognizant of it. And to me, those three diets that are kind of the natural progression, the, the Atkins to the South beach, to the keto, they're all kind of the same thing with, with various variations. And quite honestly, I think that that's probably the way most everybody should eat. You know, there's not one perfect diet that's great for everybody. Everyone's going to be a little different. But I, I, I'm a big believer in the keto diet, not so much because of the whole ketosis thing, you know, which is really what the Atkins diet was all about, where you deprive your body of sugar and carbs to where your body starts burning fat on its own and so almost starts eating its own fat. That That's kind of what mm-hmm. ketosis is. And I really That's think my it's, understanding it, it, too, it's yeah. the healthiest way to go. Um, but you just got to be careful not to overdo it on the fatty meats. You know, you got to make sure you're eating leaner meats and still getting your fruits and vegetables. And to me, you know, if you're doing that, that's kind of the healthiest way of eating, period. You can call it whatever you want. Sure. To me, that's how you should eat most of the time, really. Yeah, um, and Kim and I have been trying people. to do that. That's really the the biggest contributor to weight the weight loss for both of us is 
we're eating lean meats most of the time. I would say we have red meat once a week and maybe have pork once a week. Otherwise, it's chicken or fish. Uh, And we've essentially cut out most grains and starches. Uh, Still some brown rice. We've been doing a lot of cauliflower rice, double veggie dishes, and and, and just leaving out the carbs and starches. And then, you know, obviously, you you leave away some of the heavier stuff, the creamy stuff, um, the the cheeses, things like that. But then we've also kind of committed uh, separate of the uh, dry January we did to just not drinking during the week and, and just saving that pretty yeah. much for exclusively for Friday and Saturday nights as a way to not just consume empty calories, you know? No, and, and the, I think that that's smart. And if you guys can, if anybody can sustain that, you know, for and make that sort of their, their normal sort of default lifestyle, I think that they are ahead of 90% of the population and really kind of where most human beings should want to be. Um, so enough, enough diet discussion. Um, but yeah, should we talk some sports? Yeah, and I'm, I'm proud of you for, for, for getting on it. <laughs> uh, you know, I did all that same stuff leading into my wedding, and I added one other thing that I'm going to challenge you to try, Ryan. Um, All right. And I did a, a good solid month of this going probably three or four times a week leading up to my wedding. Uh, I got in the hot yoga, uh, the Bikram yoga. Oh. And, you know, that combined with not drinking in the keto diet, you will be looking and feeling about as good as you can feel walking down the aisle. See, I absolutely, I'm not flexible at all, and I absolutely hate yoga. So I may have to give it another shot. I have done it once (laughs) before, did not like it whatsoever. It's hard. I suppose I can try it again and take on your challenge. But uh, Kim likes to go, because she goes frequently, so maybe next month I'll give it a shot. Give it a shot. I mean, uh, just get in there and try it. It's hard. It's really hard. Uh, But I think it's worth it, And, and you'll just be feeling awesome physically and mentally. Um, enough, enough. Thanks for those who, who are still <laughs> with us here as we move on to your bad of the week. Yeah, my bad of the week is what started as free agency and baseball in general and has just become the Bryce Harper waiting game. I'm just tired of it. And we're at a point here where what, I guess what frustrates me is there are only so many outcomes, right? There are only so many teams who are willing to offer him a deal, and there's only so many teams that he's willing to play for. Yeah. And, and those options are, I think we, we have known what those options are at this point. So I don't know right now if the holdup is that Bryce is just really not that committed with his heart to being in Philly. It seems like if that were the case, he would be there already. Clearly, they're the team that is offering the 10-year, 300-plus deal, which I do not think the Giants or Dodgers are doing. But... Apparently, the Dodgers are willing to offer a lot more money uh, on a on a per year basis on a much shorter term contract, and I guess the Giants may be somewhere in between. But I just don't get what the wait is at this point anymore. And I know, and I was having a conversation with a friend at work today, and th- the discussion was why it's taking so long. And he said it; he thinks it's Boris, and that basically if it were up to Bryce, that maybe he would take a shorter deal with Philly because he wasn't, you know, not totally sure of it. But it's also an interesting spot for Bryce because he is coming off this terrible year, which I think is the the anomaly for him and and not the norm. But if he has, you know, if two out of his next three seasons were like that again, 
then he'd never see that kind of $300 million money. But he is just 26 years old, and maybe he doesn't want to be locked into that place for a decade. So I feel like maybe he would be willing to take fewer years in Philly, but but because that 10 years, 300 millions on the table, Boris won't let him. And at that point you have to wonder, not wonder, but remind the client who who's working for who. Sure. Uh, and I, I think that I, I don't know if this is more Boris is doing, but I saw an article from Buster only that said it's time for the Phillies to set a deadline on these guys. And that's a really tough thing to do because you don't want it. You know, it's the bird in the hand. You don't want to squeeze too hard and, uh, and, or, or I guess let the hand go too loose and let the bird just fly away. But man, at this point in time, it seems like the Harper camp is just jerking everybody around. And I don't really know what we're waiting for. And frankly, it's making all, I don't know if it's making all these other free agents wait, but it's, it's causing this backup that's kind of, it's kind of now created this black cloud over the start of baseball season. Yeah, it's, we talk about this every week, and I think with each subsequent discussion, that black cloud of which you speak of is becoming darker and bigger. Um, and, you know, we're heading for labor unrest. You know, the, the collective bargaining mm-hmm. agreement is up after, what, is it up after 20... 20 or 2021? I think it's up after I think it's 2020. Okay. Oh, is it? Well, I'm not sure. Either way, in a couple of years, it's up. Either way, we're heading for it. And, you know, the Bryce Harper thing is one thing uh, that's certainly a big part of this, but it's not the only thing. I think that what we're beginning to see now uh, with the, the Nolan Arenado deal that was signed today, although that was a monster deal, eight years, what, eight years, 255, I mean that's massive. I think eight years two sixty, yeah. Yeah, before he becomes a free agent. Um so that that deal. And you know what's was... interesting about that one too? Yeah. He has an opt out after three years, which if I were Harper, that's what I'd be angling for. Get get, get me the option of, of of jetting out of town after three years. Yeah. I, I I think it's really smart too by the by the agent to do that for the mm-hmm. player. Um, yes. And because with Machado going to the Padres, the Padres have the opt out after, or no, no, it, it is Machado. He has, he has it's the, the, he has the player option in that case. The, too. the fifth year. Yeah. yeah after the fifth, after year, the fifth him, year. Um, but you know, some of these other deals like the, the Aaron Hicks deal with the Yankees, the Nola deal with the Phillies. Um, there's mm-hmm. been some others here where players are seeing what's going on in free agency and you can tell that they're getting scared. Uh, we've seen more team-friendly deals before players become a free agent, I think, this all season than in recent years. And it's all a byproduct of what we've seen with all these free agents uh, not getting what they expected, Manny Machado notwithstanding. So I think that that is probably the most interesting part of all this. And I think that when you look at it, uh, and, you know, I, I went on the podcast, I think, last week. It might have been the week before and I criticized Buster Posey for basically accusing a bunch of teams for not trying to win. And I thought that, and I said that that just isn't true. Uh, and I dove a little bit deeper on that, Ryan. And I think that Posey, and I think that, you know, he's certainly not the only one making that argument. I think there is a point to be made here. Uh, I think that there's 17 or 18 teams right now that are at least $75 million under the luxury tax. I mean, that's a lot. 
you know, these owners, I don't think that a lot of them are necessarily trying to lose or not trying to win. I think that it's a combination of them finally getting smarter, as we've discussed, and they're tired of paying for uh, what these players have done and not what they're about to do. So I think it's a combination of those two things. I don't think it's necessarily, I don't think that there's collusion. I don't think that there's anything evil. I don't think that the owners are necessarily being, uh, yeah, I mean, are they being cheap? Maybe, but cheap's kind of a, a, a labely word. It's like, really, what does no, that No, they're mean? being shrewd. They're being shrewd. But it, it's really a systematic thing where these players are under team control for seven years. They get arbitration, but they, the players basically control them for seven years. And I think that's what needs to change here. Because if, if the owners are going to be unwilling to pay the top guys top dollars, as it looks like they're going to do, then you got to give something to the players back on, on earlier. You know, the, the rookie contracts have to be bigger maybe you give them arbitration a little earlier maybe you shorten the length of time that the teams control the players but you got to give something back to the players because if the revenue continues to be what it is or grow and it's likely going to grow particularly as this whole gambling thing comes into the picture then it the owners just can't hoard that money. They have to give that to the employee. They have to reinvest that money into their into the payroll somewhere. You can't have 17, 18 teams that are $75 million plus under the luxury tax. The luxury tax is there for a reason, and it's sort of supposed to be a salary cap, but it's almost becoming uh, a situation where they're, they're, the race to the bottom of that is becoming even more and more pronounced. So I think that's the problem uh, that, that we have. Now, as for Bryce Harper, it, it's driving me crazy. I don't know what's going on. I think it looks terrible for Scott Boris, but Scott Boris is used to looking terrible. I don't know really what impact it's going to have on him and, and agents like him going forward. But I don't know what's going on here. And, and you know, one interesting thing that I see here is – there's been very little information about Harper coming out of the Boris and Harper camp. You're starting to see now as all the team's players are in spring training, there's more leaks. You know, these writers seem to be getting more information. Presumably that's from Boris. I think that Boris continues to try to play one team against the, another in the bidding war in the media, which I hate. I think that's total bush and, and not classy at all. But he's getting desperate now, and it's almost like he's trying to save face with Harper, and not just with Harper, but with future clients too, because players all around baseball obviously are seeing what's going on with this this particular case. And, you know, if Boris gets anything under 10 years 300, he's going to look like a loser in all of this, particularly since Machado, who wasn't his client, got the 300 for 10. So... I don't know what's going on. It certainly seems to me like Harper has decided he doesn't really want to commit to the Phillies for 10 years. Maybe they're arguing over when that opt-out is, whether it's a three, a four, or a five-year mark. Um, but why would he want to commit to a team for, for 10 years? That just doesn't seem to make sense to me. That's such a risky move on both the player and the team's part. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So I don't know what to and make And then if you're it. with... Yeah, go, yeah go well, ahead. and if you're with Boris, then you've painted yourself in a corner, right? Because yeah. they're the, like, Boris is going to make you take the best deal, or at least that's what his reputation is, uh, despite the fact that he's working for Harper. It's, 
it, he is the the ultimate big contract guy. So now that that's out there, it's like Boris is waiting and hoping that somebody else is going to offer Harper the same thing, and it's just not going to happen. So at some point, it's like, shit, or get off the pot. What are we doing here? And I think the, the last indication that this has gone on far too long is when Bay Area Supergroup Smash Mouth starts yeah. to weigh in. Did she? I, I'm sure you've seen this by now. It's about ten hours I old. Saw but for it. those yeah, who didn't, great. the band, yeah, the band Smash Mouth tweeted, <laughs> "We are hearing Giants ownership slash upper management might not be on the same page as Zaidi regarding Harper. They want to offer a long term contract like they did with Bonds, and Zaidi does not want to. Sabian slash Bear, step the f up. This is your team, not some slappies from the Dodgers. <laughs> <laughs> from the Dodgers and the A's." Uh, obviously Smash Mouth isn't aware of the fact that Zaidi was uh, Billy Bean's assistant longer than he yes. was with the Dodgers. But I digress. Uh, yeah. Anyhow, uh, yeah, but, it's gone know, on too long. The, the, the fact that, you know, as you, as you alluded to, these other big free agents are still out there too. I mean, the best starting pitcher, Dallas Keuchel's unsigned. The best closer, Craig Kimbrell's unsigned. Kimbrell's now, mm-hmm. you know, there's rumors that he might sit out the season, which is insane. I mean, I, you know, I see both sides. I understand why these players are still unsigned. I understand why these teams don't want to give them what they feel they're worth. But something's got to change here, and we're kind of seeing it. But, you know, change is slow. We're seeing it bet- before our eyes. But the real danger is is a strike, and I think it's coming because these the two sides are far apart on how to share this money. And, you know, the, the MLBPA has always been the strongest union in any sport, I still expect them to be strong, but the owners are making a power play here, and they've got leverage right now. The players will probably have leverage at the end of the CBA. So, you know, it, it, it's, a total, it's a total pissing contest right now by two of the more powerful entities in sports. And who are the losers? The fans who are picking up the freight. So it's always the fans that lose, and it's always the fans that pick up the tab, and that's really sort of the sad part of the whole thing. Uh, but you want to move on? Have we said enough? I think that ground has been thoroughly plowed, as Jim Harbaugh right. would say. Uh, let's move on to another topic that, speaking of ground being plowed, um, my bad of the week is this Zion Williamson injury and more so the fallout that's come, o- come on uh, over it. And, you know, we, we saw it. It was a week ago. What was it? Tomorrow night. I think it happened on Wednesday night. A week ago tomorrow night that, you know, one of the strangest things I've ever seen on a basketball court where, you know, wonderkin freshman for Duke, the presumptuous uh, number one pick in the upcoming NBA draft, Zion. We've all seen it. His his shoe explodes. Uh, Barack Obama sitting there courtside. You have that great clip of him over Krzyzewski's shoulder basically saying his shoe broke. Uh, I don't think I'll ever forget that little piece of video, but we've never seen anything like it. Uh, Zion sprains his knee, and that's horrible. You never want to see that happen to a, to a amazing athlete like him who has you know just one of the brightest futures we've ever seen in sports. Uh, but he's going to be okay. The, the, the bad of the week is people's reaction to it and the sort of just low-hanging fruit Stupid debate over it, Ryan. You know, 
People now just coming out of the woodwork saying, you know, he shouldn't play another college game again, or, you know, this rule that the NBA has that makes him go to one year of college if you're an American-born player, or, you know, that, that all college athletes should be paid. Those are sort of the three, I guess, pillars of argument that people are talking about. And I don't necessarily disagree with the arguments, but they just, you know, these arguments have been going on among intelligent people for 10 years now, if not longer, uh, probably longer. But the fact, you know, this kid going down, I just don't understand why this has become the lightning rod for all of that. And, and I want to address each of the arguments separately. I think the smartest of the arguments is, you know, this one and done rule probably shouldn't be in existence. I agree with that. But but I, I agree, do too. I agreed with that before Zion got hurt at, you know, and then the, the, the argument about, uh, you know, that he, what, what's the other one? Uh, the, the, the paying college players. I mean, should should the stars in college athletics, at, certainly in football and basketball, get paid? Yeah, they should. I think that most reasonable people at this point in time can agree on that. But the the process by which that needs to happen is not so simple as a bunch of people tweeting about it. It's a very complex issue and we can get into it a little bit if you want but it just amazes me how uneducated so many people seem to be on this issue as if you know you just tweet that college athletes should get paid and all of a sudden it's going to happen I mean that's just a crazy thing this is an entrenched system that's been around since the beginning of college sports which is over a hundred years now there's so many nuances to it uh, should they get paid? Yes, but how do we do that? That's the bigger discussion, and it's very complicated. But the one that pisses me off the most is how everyone's like, you know, he shouldn't play again for Duke. I mean, that's ridiculous. He has a grade one knee sprain. He, he's he's a, the best player in the country on one of the best teams in the country. He can go out and try to win a national championship. It's the only chance he's going to get to play in the, in the big dance, go to the Final Four, maybe win a title. Why would he not want to do that and you know just competitive people want to play and I, all indications are that he wants to come back but I just it's just crazy to me how many people out there just want to live someone else's life for them you know Zion Williamson should do whatever Zion Williamson wants to do and if he decides that he doesn't want to come back and play for Duke I'm going to respect that. I think it's going to be a weird decision if that's what he did what he decides but I don't need everybody telling me or telling Zion how he should live his life. That's the part that bothers me the most. That's my bad of the week. What's your take? Okay, so going one by one on these, I, I do think the most reasonable take out of this is that the one and done rule should be gone. And I, I think that I kind of like the way that baseball actually has it set up where if you go to – you can either get drafted right out of high school, and that's fine, or you can go to junior college for a year and get drafted, and that's fine, or you can go to a four-year school for two years and you can get drafted, and that's fine. And so I actually isn't it kind three? Of these, I think if you go to a four-year school, you have to stay there for three years. Oh, you're right. You're right. It is. It is three years. Yeah. You're right. Um, but but even so, you kind of have these different degrees in which you could, you know, whichever path you choose, it's there for you, and. I think that basketball could do something similar. I just think that one is the wrong number. I think that, you know, someone like Zion shouldn't have to go play 
uh, college basketball because it's the game where his skills, I think, you know, it's not, you can't just make the leap from high school football to pro football. No one's ever doing that. I don't think that should ever be suggested. That should be something that anyone uh, attempts to pursue. But the we, we've seen the basketball thing work. I think it got to the point where too many kids were trying to do it. You saw too many failed careers because they didn't get the right coaching. But at the same time, I'm not about denying someone with Zion's talent and abilities uh, the opportunity to go and make that leap right away if they don't want to. So, or if they want to, I should say. So that, yeah, that's my take on that. I, I think that we should get rid of the one and done rule or make it, you know, you can leave after high school or you can go to college, play two years and then leave again. Um, that would be what I'd advocate for as far as the, let's see, well, point number two was which one? <laughs> I, it was, the last one is that the, you just play basically pat, paying college athletes. Oh yeah, and actually that was that was the one that got me that kind of gets my blood boiling the most, and that's just Twitter activism. There's so many people that think that if everyone just has the same opinion, that suddenly we can make things better, and like people actually have to do something, and it's and like you said, it is not an easy thing, would not be an easy thing to administer and to figure out because you can't tell me that you know the third string fullback for Iowa State deserves the same compensation as Tua Tagovailoa. Right. So, you know it, it's that's that's not But but so even you can't beyond that. Equitable... If I could just jump Go in ahead. here well, on yeah. the topic of paying college athletes. So I, I I I think that's a good example. But a better example is is you know Alabama can probably afford to pay Tua Tagovailoa. But can uh, St. Mary's afford to pay the third string volleyball spiker on their women's volleyball team? Because right. with, with Title IX, the way it works is if you're going to pay the football team, you're going to have to pay the, the women's volleyball team. And nothing against the women's volleyball team, but that's a reality. And I don't know how many schools out there can afford to do that. And, it, you know, it, and it goes beyond that, too. But I think that's the main thing. I mean, we're talking about, act, you know, uh, what's the word, word I'm looking Twitter for? Twitter activism? No, we're talking about these, these universities are nonprofit places of higher learning. They're schools, okay? So you just can't expect them all to be able to afford to pick up the tab to pay every single male and female athlete on campus you you know there, there's gonna have to be a system put in place and it's basically probably if you if you go down that road of paying the college athletes if you if you're gonna start paying the football and basketball players then you're basically gonna kind of kill college sports as we know it you know you're not gonna have soccer anymore you're not gonna have rowing anymore you're not gonna have volleyball anymore and if you do it's it's going to look completely different there's going to be such a separation between the haves and the have-nots you're going to kill all the mid-majors in basketball because there's no way you know St. Mary's basketball team is going to be able to compete with Duke not that they can now but they can at least you know you can see a Lehigh beating Duke in the tournament you can see a Mercer beating Duke in the tournament if you start paying these guys I think you're going to that that's just going to completely go away so, you know, people who want this better be careful what they wish for because it's just not as simple as paying Zion Williamson, okay? It's just not. No, it isn't. And 
you know, I think there are a number of different ways to do it, and I don't, I don't think we need to go down that road. But it's not yeah. as simple as just flipping a switch, and I think that's the point there. And then, as as far as the people saying that Zion needs to sit now, listen, if he wants to, I think he should. I don't think it's crazy to suggest that that would be the best decision for his career. But no one, but those are all people assuming they know what Zion wants, and that's what you alluded to. Let this kid live his life. You're not him. You don't need to make that decision. You don't even need to opine about that decision because it's not yours to make and he's going to make it anyway. So what is the point in insisting that sitting out is the right thing or insisting that continuing to play is the right thing? There, There is no point to that. I think that if Zion felt that this was for some reason – uh, a big time scare, a, you know, he saw him, you know, his career flash before his eyes and he's not going to play, uh, you know, he'd be playing scared until the draft or anything like that. Then sure. Sit out. I doubt that's how he feels. I bet he tries to come back. I, I and I don't think there's anything problem with that. And if, if he suffers some catastrophic injury after he comes back, they're going to be a million people lining up saying, CCC, we told you so, but that injury could just as well happen at the draft combine or in his very first game as a pro yep. or walking down the street slipping on a, uh, on a patch of ice. So, you know, it, I, it's just it's not for the world to determine what is right on. And, and it, is, it is a bad deal with really just the people coming out of the woodwork that think that they know what's best for that young man. Agree. Uh, what's your interesting of the week? The interesting of the week is the NFL Combine, which is now underway. I don't believe we've had any uh, drills yet, on-field drills. I think there have been some interviews and registration and, and things like that. But I don't find it interesting from the standpoint of viewing it. That is that is not why it's my interesting of the week. I will not watch – I mean, something I used to put on in the background occasionally. You know, when we worked at a sports television station, it was on because it was on – uh, but that's about it, and I, I don't need to, you know, wait for hours to watch one guy run a forty. Anything that is highlight worthy will show up on a highlight show or on my Twitter feed. So it's not really about following it from the television aspect. It's just in the way that the combine itself has evolved. How much stock people put into it, how much stock the average fan puts into it, the average journalist, and and the average team, and how people view it differently, and there are just so many aspects to it that I find kind of interesting. The first is just the bizarre kind of meat market cattle call nature of it, where you put these people in tight clothes, and you line them up, and everyone looks at them and measures them physically. It's it's like you're going to pick out your own piece of steak. You know, yeah. it's really odd. It's odd. It's weird that there are humans evaluating like the physical attributes of other humans as if they're a commodity and not like another being, you know, that part is just, is so strange. I mean, the performance stuff different, but the lining up in spandex and standing and getting poked and prodded is just a whole other deal. But the other part that, and you know, now people are saying that Kyler Murray's height is not going to be the most important thing, but rather his hand size. I mean, the fact that that is sparking debates throughout the football world is laughable to me. The guy can play football. We've seen it. I don't think his hands, they didn't stop him to this point. They're not going to stop him now. So 
non-story, non-issue, but I, I do think what's interesting is the way we can learn, we can look at the Combine retrospectively and and use it as almost like a marker for history and, and things that either went right or went wrong. And some of the guys who guys who are just absolute beasts in the event have have gone on to be beasts in the NFL. Other guys uh, who have had red flags in their interviews, red flags on their wonderlick, red flags on just their behavior. Uh, people, I mean, Reuben Foster, perfect example, was unrelated to his issues he had at the Combine, but he had issues at the Combine. It ended up being a problem for a lot of teams. Wasn't a problem for the Niners. It ended up biting the Niners. And I think that the interviews probably get undersold. I mean, granted, we don't get to see them. We're not privy to them. But I would imagine to most of the teams, that is, at least if I were a GM, that would be more important to me because I think that what you see from these guys on tape should be able to tell you most of what you need to know, whereas the specific drills that you don't play football in a drill, you play football in a play-by-play, reacting, thinking, and combining that with physical skills. So I think the way the event has evolved and the coverage of the event has evolved is kind of crazy because we don't really know what the value of it is, but people are abuzz about it anyway. So there's a lot of weirdness to it. I think there is some value to it. I'm not sure there's as much value as people assign to it, but uh, I do find it interesting. Yeah, um, not to disparage your topic, honestly, but uh, <laughs> I don't find the combine where you're going here. interesting at all. Um, I pay almost no attention to it, and I wish that I got to find out absolutely nothing about it whatsoever. Um, I, I, you know, it, it just. As much as I love football, I'm just not that interested in it. And I do think it's, it's weird uh, for all the reasons you articulated. I agree with you uh, that the interview portion of the program, I think, is probably the most valuable part for NFL teams. Uh, but we aren't really privy to that unless, like, a, a weird question leaks or, or something like that, as it seems to now, like, every year. You know, I do find it interesting from this perspective, uh, Ryan. So, you know, I, I see why teams want to sort of measure these guys and weigh them and, 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 you know, clock them on the 40 and the rest of it, because a lot of these teams, if not all of them, have sort of criteria for size, speed, and weight for kind of every position. I think that Bill Parcells is sort of credited with that uh, system, um, and then he taught it to Bill Belichick, and Bill Belichick taught it to Nick Saban. I know all the coaches now sort of have that, but those that sort of coaching tree, that lineage, I think is sort of credited with that. So in other words, like hmm. Bill Parcells came up with a system that he didn't want a defensive lineman at all on his team that, say, was under 6'4 and 3'10 or whatever it was. Um, and then sure. he had certain criteria and certain ranges like that that he wanted for every position and then Belichick and Saban kind of took it to another level and that's how they both still run their teams today you know Saban if Saban doesn't really recruit a defensive back that can't say run under a 4-6-40 and isn't at least six feet tall just to throw out some numbers so I understand why the, sure. the, the teams are interested in getting their own measurements on these guys at the combine that makes sense to me I don't really care at all, 
you know, like let them worry about that. I'm going to be watching basketball. So, I mean, that that's kind of where I'm at on all of that. I see why it's valuable for the industry. It's just not interesting or exciting to me. Um, you know, if, if a particular story comes out about an Alabama player or something like that, I might read it or, and pay attention to it, but I don't really put much stock into it. And it really doesn't interest me on much of a level at all. I do wish that they would release the Wonderlick scores publicly. They don't. You'll, mm-hmm. you'll get those uh, leaked out. But I think that that's kind of cool information to see which of these guys are a little bit more cerebral than others. I, I would enjoy it if they released the Wonderlick scores publicly, but they don't for obvious reasons. So uh, that's and basically I, I think my that's my thing is it's, it's, not, it's not so much that like I think that what the coverage we get is interesting, but I'm more interested in like how different teams would use it, yeah. and the and, and what they think those flags would be. And I, I would be interested in getting more information on the interview and testing portion uh, of the combine and I finding out too. how people fare there. And I, I kind of wish there was maybe more digging uh, on on with players on what went on in the interview rooms and with the tests and and things like that. Yeah, I would enjoy that too. I understand why we don't get it, um, but I have very little, if any, interest in watching it or really following it at all. Um, so, Fair enough. Yeah. Um, okay. My interesting of the week is the NBA. Um, you know, it's kind of the main thing going on right now in the sports world, I think. Um, and I just think there's, you know, and we, we've been hitting on this throughout the season, but to me, Uh, In this last week, there's been some really interesting things going on in the NBA in both conferences. I think the most interesting one is your boy LeBron uh, and the L.A. (laughs) Lakers. You know, he was hurt. I think he missed 17 games. Uh, The thought was he was going to return from that groin industry and come out guns a-blazing after the All-Star break. Well, the opposite has happened. They've lost back-to-back games. It may not be back-to-back, but they've lost games in the last week to the Pelicans without Anthony Davis, and then they lost uh, last night to the Memphis Grizzlies. Both of those teams are basically trying to lose as many games. Yeah, the Grizzlies who traded Marc Gasol, mind you. Yeah, and and, and and Anthony Davis didn't play for the Pelicans. Those are two yeah. horrific losses for the L.A. Lakers. Um, the L.A. Lakers right now are 14 games out of first. They are... Three full games behind the Spurs for the eighth and final spot with two other teams ahead of them, although they're, they're tied with the Timberwolves and the Kings are two games ahead of them. Uh, you know, and then LeBron it was having weird body language all night. He had an okay game, and then he, he rips his teammates after the game. And then, as he did last week, he goes on Instagram and posts a graphic about how great he is. Which is, yeah. I just don't get it. I mean, he's clearly not posting his own Instagram stuff, but you know, it's his Instagram. You got to think that whoever's you know what, posting though, the comments, the captions, the captions seem like him. I don't think. I think there's someone on his team producing the media, but I don't think that's not his voice. Yeah, and and whether it is or it isn't, it, it's his Instagram feed, and so he's yeah, got yeah, it. It's a bad look. He's got to know better, but clearly he just doesn't care anymore. And and the whole LeBron and Lakers thing is honestly, it's about as interesting as it gets. You know, LeBron's 34 now. Um, he seems to have pissed off pretty much everybody on his team, particularly the young guys who are the best players on his team. You know, the Lakers front office, I think now that we can safely say 
didn't do a great job this offseason surrounding Braun with veteran players. They lost out on Paul George. But the additions of all these guys that they put uh, signed to one-year deals, KCP, um, Rondo, JaVale McGee, and Dwight Stevenson, none of those guys are playing that well. They're all kind of malcontents. They've all had character issues at, at various points, if not all of their careers. So just poor job by the Lakers front office. And, you know, now it's pretty clear that Luke's going to lose his job. He may not make it through the season, but if they miss the playoffs, he's done. Um, I think Luke's a great coach. I don't know who they're going to go out, but it's not really about the coaching at this point. It's about LeBron is aging. He, he's probably got one, maybe, more, more prime season left in him. This whole Anthony Davis thing, trying to get him out of New Orleans, has totally backfired on him and the Lakers. So it's just the, the whole thing there is really interesting. And then on the other side of the coast, uh, on the other coast, I should say, in Boston, the Celtics are basically imploding before our eyes. And all signs point to it having to do with the erstwhile personality of your boy, Kyrie Irving. I mean, it seems like he's tearing the team apart almost by the day. Uh, they are now nine and a half games out of first. Um, the you know the East, the Bucks, the Raptors, and the Sixers all made big moves before the trade deadline. I still think the Celtics have the most talent in the East. I think the Celtics have the second most talent in the NBA. But Ryan, they're thirty-seven and twenty-four. As I said, they're nine and a half games out of first. Uh, they've got a point differential of .56, which is actually second, or I should say plus 5.6. It's second best in the East, but they're struggling. They lost the other night by 10 in Chicago. Uh, you know, Kyrie's coming out with crazy quotes almost every day, basically pointing his finger directly at Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, which I just don't understand that that tactic at all. You know, Kyrie likes to act like He's this sort of all-time great NBA players with like five NBA championships. I mean, Kyrie, the way Kyrie acts, you would think that he's had like Dwayne Wade's career. Um, and, and nobody, not to take anything away from Kyrie, the basketball player, but he's 26. He won one championship. And now, you know, all of a sudden he's at, not really even all of a sudden, but he, he just basically goes around acting like he's God's gift to the sport of basketball. Uh, and, you know, I know he's not endearing himself at all to Celtics fans. And at this point, it's hard to see them making a real run in the Eastern Conference playoffs because, as I mentioned, the Bucks, the Raptors, and the Sixers are stacked. Um, the, you know, I, I could see any of those three teams go into the finals, although the Sixers are certainly, at this point, the weakest of the three. So I, I just find that, that, you know, the Kyrie story the Celtics underachieving, and then the stacked East to be really exciting. And then the third point I wanted to make is the Golden State Warriors. Um, I don't know if you had the chance to watch the game on Saturday against the Rockets. Uh, I was really disappointed. I did. Ugly. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was really looking forward to that game. Uh, then I was super disappointed that Harden was ruled out right before the game. But then the Rockets just came and blew the doors off the Warriors from the jump. I think they got up as many by as many as 22. The Warriors came back in the third, but they spent all their energy. I thought your boy Boogie Cousins had a particularly uh, demonstrative night 
with the referees. He got he got a technical. I mean, he was really I hadn't seen him that bombastic with the Warriors yet. He 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 was throwback Kings boogie in that game. And it really just yeah. got in the way of everything the Warriors were trying to do. You know, it's no secret he isn't all the way back from this injury just in terms of his lateral movement and his conditioning. Teams are attacking him on the pick and roll. He said as much after the game. But to me, that's fine. You, you can accept that. But what you can't accept is this boorish behavior that he displays on the court where, you know, he, he every time the ref calls or doesn't call a foul against him, he just throws his arms up in the air. He doesn't get back on defense because he's bitching and complaining to the rest. And, you know, he makes his teammate Draymond look like an angel in regards to the way he treats the refs, which is really hard to do. Uh, I just thought Boogie's performance on sa- on Saturday night and the Warriors' performance at large. And then, you know, after the game, uh, well, Draymond got hurt. He sprained his ankle. And then after the game, Durant basically said he'll be fine. He'll, he'll be back for the playoffs. That's all that matters, isn't it? And then Clay basically told our, our old co-worker and friend, Mindy Bach, after the game, that the Warriors don't really care about these games right now, that they're just looking towards the playoffs. So you've got, you know, the most popular team in the NBA playing on primetime and Saturday night, uh, just a subpar effort on their part, which they have every right to do, I suppose. But, you know, you've got these guys openly admitting that these games that they're selling tickets at premium prices to basically don't matter to them. I just think it's a terrible look for the league. I don't really know what they can do about it. And, you know, really the Warriors, I don't think, are at fault. If you want to put fault in anything, to me, it's that the Warriors are basically too good. And 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 two, I just think the season drags out forever, Ryan. They, they, str- they start it earlier now to give these guys more uh, rest, which I'm for. But the season just goes forever. And we talked last week about how the ratings are down. I think fans are checking out, too. They realize these games really don't matter that much. People are just ready for the playoffs to start, but they don't start for another seven weeks. So, I, you know, I, I like the NBA. I'm into it. I've been watching almost every Warrior game. I like it. I'm, you know, like I said, I like it. I'm into it. But it's just hard to kind of take a lot of this stuff seriously at this point in the season. You there? Yeah, so working, yeah, working all the way. Sorry, you you were breaking up a little bit there. We've got okay. having a little bit of a connection issue, but I think we're good now. Okay, good. Um, so going back to the Lakers and LeBron first and foremost, I, this is, I think, going to be looked back on as a really interesting time in his career because to this point, he's, you know, he basically, he went and assembled his dream team in Miami and he got those rings. Then he went back to Cleveland and he kind of put a whole franchise and city on his back and and came back against the Warriors and he got that ring. And now it's kind of these cement the legacy and, and, and go do it for a, a blue blood franchise time. And it's not going according to plan. And on top of that, I think that for me, it's a little bit bizarre, and you alluded to it a little bit with his Instagram posts, but he seems so disconnected from what's going on with his team, his teammates, maybe even the media and the rest of the league, but he's a guy who 
His brand is clearly very important to him, and he's now involved in all these other projects. And far be it for me to tell LeBron James how to live his life, but the, it, I feel like the guy's got way too much going on. And his he's caused this huge rift with his teammates because of the whole trade deadline stuff. But to go out there and basically take shots at his teammates night in and night out through the media, which you can say he's not doing that, and I'm I will just say that's that's patently false. He yeah. is doing that. And he is doing. Say that. well, he's not. He's just trying to light a fire on these guys. No, he's talking shit about his teammates to the media most nights, and that doesn't sit well with me. It's not going to obviously sit well with the franchises they try to build and grow because it's clearly not working with this group. And Luke Walton is going to be the first fall guy, but you wonder who the second and third and fourth fall guys are going to be because I think this train is going the wrong direction, and I, I don't know if LeBron knows how to stop it. Uh, as far as the Celtics and Kyrie go, Kyrie to me is the Eastern Conference version of Kevin Durant with not quite as much talent. Uh, Kyrie is an amazing talent. One of the top 10 players in the league, certainly. But he's just a malcontent. And he he has chosen, essentially, the situation that he's in and, and still isn't happy in it. And he's he's got the pieces around him. And you look at the kind of parallels between him and Durant, and again, far be it for us to say who should be happy in their lives and who shouldn't. But from a basketball standpoint, it seems as though Kyrie Irving has everything he should want and need at this stage of his career, and yet he's in a bad place about it. His team's struggling, and 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 worse than they are struggling, they, they look completely disjointed. Uh, when it comes to the Warriors... They look disjointed because they've admitted they don't have that much interest in being jointed at this point. And I don't know that that's an easy switch to turn on come playoff time, but I don't know that it matters right away because with the way these series are and and how good this team is, they're not going to lose four games in the first or even the second round. So what that says to me is that they, they can afford to do this right now. And... I just, I guess that's fine. I think it's a little bit dangerous, uh, but in general, yeah, I have an, I have more of an issue with the season length. I think we need to be going down to seventy regular season games, and I think the first playoff series should be a best of five. Yeah, uh, I, I don't. I think they're that we can, we can, do we can ax, uh a lot of time in the. Of course, they're not because there's money <laughs> tied to these games. Never going to do that. Uh, and I agree with a you. lot of money, a lot of revenue, but that's, that's what would be better. If they wanted what was best for the league, that's what would be best for the league. Um, the Warriors, I'm not, I'm not worried about them, but you do wonder if you're not trying to find your form now, when, when you're going to find it and when you have to turn it on. Uh, LeBron said he was going into activating playoff mode early this year. Yeah. Clearly that's backfiring. We'll see when the Warriors try to activate their playoff mode. Yeah, I'm not worried about the Warriors at all. Um, although I will say, um, when I look at the rest of, of of the NBA, you know, I've been saying since, yeah, basically since they won the finals last year that that it's a done deal. They're going to win it this year, and I've been saying it's going to be the Warriors against the Celtics. So I may have been wrong on the Celtics. I still feel great about my Warriors picks, but I don't. I don't feel as great. As, as I have, Ryan. 
and it's not so much about the Warriors. I just think that there's other good teams out there. Uh, you know, the Thunder coming on. I don't think the Thunder can beat the Warriors in a seven-game series. But I think they can give them a series. And I think the Nuggets can give them a series. Mm -hmm. I don't think that they can win. Uh, and I think that if the Rockets are firing on all cylinders, that they can give the Warriors a series too. Um, you know, and, and that basically is health, really, for the Rockets. And in all these teams, it, it, it is. It's health. And then, you know, any whoever comes out of the East, I think, can give the Warriors a series. I still like the Warriors, but I just think that these other teams that I just mentioned are better than I expected them to be at this point in the season. So tons of mm -hmm. credit to all of those teams. Um, you know, as far as Kyrie and Durant go, I see Kyrie as much more of a malcontent than Durant. Um, but they are, they do seem to be really good friends. And they, you know, they both speak glowingly about each other in public. So they, they do seem to kind of be two peas in a pod. And, you know, the rumors have them going to New York together. I almost want to see that happen just because I think it's going to fail spectacularly if it does happen. Oh, those are the words. Those are the two words that I were, I wanted to use. Fail spectacularly. I think that is exactly what will happen in New York, and I hope it happens too. Well I said. really want to see it happen at this point. And, yep. and I like – I don't really like Kyrie. I really like Durant, and I just don't understand why he just – Seems to I want to like Durant, and he has made me not like him. I'm not quite there. I think most of the stuff that he's done, I kind of see it. I kind of get it. I kind of think I, I kind of. The feel most like... recent one was the last straw for me. The way yeah, the, the, the most blasting recent one Ethan Strauss Ethan and Strauss Kawakami and like, you yeah. know, I, I don't want to say like, look who's been here first or whatever, but the the two of the people that he directed his ire at do a really good job at their jobs covering the team and, and he was being a petulant child. So, uh, you know, it just, it's, that's everyone, everyone has a bad day, but yeah, I, you know, I think it, that it, Durant it, is a good guy. I think he honestly, you know, I do think he's a good guy. I think he's smart. I like him. He's a great player. Uh, I love to watch him play. He just seems like he's kind of got his head on pretty straight, but there's just this kind of like, other side of his personality where he does and says stuff where you're like, hmm, maybe Durant's just kind of crazy, you know? And I think that that can be said of a lot of these NBA players that they've just kind of got a crazy streak to them that is undeniable. And, you know, we don't know them. We're not really around them. But occasionally you just kind of see the chink in the armor and the crazy side just kind of creeps out of the costume, so to speak. And it's almost like he he becomes a completely different person sometimes. Uh, and I don't get it, really, and I probably never will. But it is interesting to see um, all of this unfold. I mean, it is entertaining, particularly at this point in the season, where you have players on the best team in the league openly admitting that they don't really care about these games. So I'm done going to Warrior games. At least, you know, I'm not spending any more money to go see him play a regular season game because if they don't care, I don't care. So that's that's a wise what, move by you. Yeah, uh, that's save your money for the playoffs. Basically, where I'm at with that. Um, okay, let's move forward to your wild card. Yeah, so my wild card comes from uh, the world of entertainment. Um, 
are, and we could go one of two ways. Do you want to go movies or television? I'll give you a, a choice on your wild card. Well, I don't know. I will tell you, I don't watch much of either these days. Um, but go, you, you, you decide. You, you tell me. So, uh, with it being, uh, we'll go movies. In the spirit of the Academy Awards, uh, I, you know, I don't, you know, try. I, I try to watch some of them, some of the at least the best picture nominated films, and. I don't feel like I, you know, have a. I used to watch a lot more movies than I do now. I don't feel like I have as much time now, uh, but I, I did used to enjoy it quite a bit. Um, I saw, I want to say, three or four of the nominated films this year. But uh, quite simply, and it doesn't have to be Oscar nominated. What was the best movie you've seen in the last year? I don't think I've seen a single movie in the last year. <laughs> in 365 days, you've not seen I a really single movie. I don't think I have. Um, wow. I'm trying to think. I don't think I've seen a movie. I definitely have not been to the movie theater. I don't think I've seen a movie in the theater in maybe five years, Ryan. Uh, probably Man, since, yeah. all right. Um, and I just don't watch many at home. And I honestly, I don't really even regret it. I feel like most movies I watch on Netflix no, or no, whatever. No, nor do I think you should, but that's what, yeah, wow. Not but one I would be open to some suggestions. Like, you know, okay. I don't really love like, the blockbuster movies. Like, I like... No, nor do I. Yeah. I it, think cinema has really struggled in the last five years or agree. so. Um, you know, I like comedies, and then I like just really good movies. Like, generally, I do like to see as you said, two or three of the Oscar-nominated movies. I don't even know what was nominated. I think I saw something called The Green Book won Best Picture. Do I have that Green right? Green Book won. Yep, Green Book won. That was with um, Viggo Mortensen and, uh, and Mahershala Ali, who won uh, previously for Moonlight. And actually, interestingly enough, I learned on Monday that he played basketball for St. Mary's College uh, in Moraga. Um, you know, I know the, the Bohemian Rhapsody, the Queen biopic, was up for Best mm -hmm. Picture. Some people liked it, some people didn't. Um, I was going to go see that, maybe, and I just decided not to. So I got nothing for you here. This is a terrible wild card. No, not if you tell me what your favorite movie that you watch with your kids is. Okay, well, see, that that's really the answer here, because they uh, <laughs> they dominate the TV when there isn't a game on that I really want to watch. Um, okay, so th they have so many different shows that they cycle through, and it's so easy to find, and find all these shows now between YouTube and Netflix and Amazon Prime, and, you know... All the like all the PBS shows have a free app, and Disney has an app, and on and on and on. So they don't watch a ton of movies because their attention span's still kind of not the best. But they cycle through the following shows. Um, they they love uh, Paw Patrol. They love PJ Masks. They like the show called Super Wings, which is like car like kind of like Cars the the movie, but with airplanes. Um, they like dino trucks. They, you know, Transformers was big when I was a kid. Transformers mm -hmm. is still big, it seems. They like that. Uh, they, they like this British show called Octonauts, which is like ocean-based. And then there's another show that I think is a Netflix original called The Deep, 
which is also ocean-based. So, you know, it's a combination of, like, superheroes, water stuff, space stuff, cars, trucks, planes. Uh, those are the main All themes. stuff little boys like. Yeah, and, you know, ev- and I try not to pay too close attention, but every now and then I'll sit down and, like, actually try to watch it just so I can, like, talk to them about it and engage a little bit more Sure. on that level. And, you know, it seems like every single one of these shows is basically revolves around somebody being in trouble and getting saved by like the hero that that's kind of like i think the theme of literally every single show that they watch so uh but you know one other note on this um and this is a little bit of a parent corner here the the youtube (laughs) world is really interesting just in general but particularly you know with the kids too you know, my kids like to watch, I mentioned all those shows, but on YouTube there's kind of like homemade uh, offshoots of all these shows, and many of which will combine characters from the various shows, and they'll kind of do it like people will just sort of play with the various toys of these shows, and then sort of voice their own little show, and so it's like they're creating spin-off shows, combining a bunch of different characters from all these various shows and creating kind of like new content on their own which is a very interesting concept and you know a lot of these videos seem to have millions of views so i guess there's just like a whole cottage cottage industry out there mm-hmm. for, for sort of playing with these kids toys and creating your own narrative out of that if that makes sense it's a very bizarre thing uh, but my kids seem to love it uh, i I don't love it. I would rather them just watch the actual shows that are made by, you know, creative geniuses in Hollywood. I think that that's probably like a little more cerebral than what these people are making on YouTube. Uh, But my kids seem to like both. So uh, I don't know. I don't know what that really says. But it's just an interesting thing that I haven't really been exposed to before recently. Yeah, I didn't really re- I didn't know about the whole cottage industry thing that there there were all these offshoots at all. I, I didn't didn't even know that existed. So interesting. Yeah. It 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 exists. It's real. Um, all right, okay. hit it with your wild card. Okay. Well, well I want to know what what's the best movie you saw in the last year. So I did see Green Book, uh, which won Best Picture, and I thought it was really good. Like I, I really really enjoyed it. Um, it was a good story. I also saw first man, which was the, uh, moon landing, uh, one with, I think with, uh, Ryan Gosling as Buzz Aldrin and, or is this Neil Armstrong? Yeah. And actually I saw that one in the theater and it was worth seeing in the theater because the technology they had to work with. And like you, I'm not into the big blockbusters, all the like comic book superhero stuff. But uh, the the visual effects of all the moon scenes and the space scenes were really cool in the theater on the big screen. So it's just as far as like a viewing experience, um, I'll, I'll go with First Man. Okay. Um, I will say on the TV show side, my wife and I have watched the first two episodes of Narcos Mexico on Netflix. Okay. It's pretty good. Uh, I never saw any of the original Narcos, and I'm wondering if I should just go and watch that instead of the Narcos Mexico. Do you have any insight there? I watched the first season of Narcos and really enjoyed it. Uh, just the original, not Narcos Mexico. Right. But um, I didn't stay up with it mostly because 
with it being all in subtitles, it's like a com- you can't multitask and do that show. And uh. mostly, I would say ninety five percent of the time I have the TV on, it's because I'm doing something else right. and not making the TV my primary focus. So I, I think that Narcos is a, just a little bit difficult from that standpoint. But if you're willing to just kind of shut everything else out and just and commit to you know fifty minutes of watching an episode, um, I think I think it was great. I didn't even know that it was subtitles. The Mexico one is mostly subtitles, uh, but not all. So that that's an interesting thing that I didn't know about. So good 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 note there. Um, all right, uh, my wild card of the week. We haven't talked any college hoops, which has probably been getting the bulk of my sports attention lately. Um, and I don't know, you know, I don't know if you've really been watching much either, but what jumps out to you? Like, who who do you think are some of, you know, give me three or four favorites at this point to get to the final four. Um, I wouldn't say I've watched enough to probably discern from the entire group who I think could be really the top, um, Not, I mean, I guess the final four teams. I, I think that... I watch a lot during championship week to try to get my bearing on where the teams are currently and not just what they've done throughout the season. Um, I, the one team I've been paying a lot of attention to because I, I think I've mentioned, or maybe I haven't this fantasy super league that I'm in with my friends and, uh, um, yeah, you've mentioned and the basically, golf, huh? okay. Oh, so, so I, I have mentioned that yeah. it, the U- UVA is my team this year. Uh-huh. So I, and I think it's, they're interesting to me just from the aspect of obviously being, the first one seed to ever lose to a 16 seed last year against UMBC. Right. So obviously I think that they have something more to prove this year. I, I don't think that they would lose as a one again to a 16, but I think that there are enough guys from that team that have a bitter taste in their mouth. That they, I, I think there's an intangible factor there that the worry there always is what happens when the offense dries up in one of their games, um, which we've, we've seen happen before and their, their defense and slow it down pace just isn't enough. But um, Kentucky has looked really good recently. Uh, Gonzaga, I've seen some of their uh, games or at least parts of some of their games. They look good. Tennessee's struggled a little bit. They had been looking pretty good, but I guess uh, if I had to, and, and you know, the other team people seem to be high on right now is Texas Tech. Yeah. Um, as far as mid-majors are concerned, I know that, that that Nevada had some hype earlier in the season. It seems to have died down a little bit. Yeah, they, they, they um, got smoked at San Diego State last weekend. And I'll say this, the Pac-12 is absolutely terrible, but I do think that UW is decent. No, they um, are. They're, they're, thir- they're 13-1 in, in conference play. They're they're 22-5 and five overall, and uh, you know I don't know that I expect them to make a bunch of noise, but as far as just being a little bit aware of what's going on in Pac-12 hoops, they seem to be head and shoulders above every single other team in the conference. So I guess if I'm looking at, uh, let, let, let's just spitball here. And based on the little that I've the, followed and more that I've heard, I will pick a final four right now of, I'll go Gonzaga, Virginia, Duke, and Texas Tech. Okay. Those are good picks. Yeah, I mean, I generally agree with everything you said. 
I think UVA is one of the most interesting teams in the country, uh, not only for them having lost to UMBC last year, but, you know, Tony Bennett really uh, has, has turned them into one of the premier programs in the country. I mean, they've now, I think, you know, this will be, I think their fifth straight year, it looks like, of being either a one or a two seed, which they've never had that type of success. Uh, before he got there, they've largely been... Uh, a kind of a floundering program in the ACC. They've always taken a backseat to Carolina Duke and then also to, to a lot of the other teams in that conference as well. But, I, you know, they've got most all of the team back from last year. I think they're a little bit better offensively this year. They're still really good defensively. They've beaten five ranked teams on the road, which ties an mm-hmm. all-time record, um, which is pretty amazing. Uh, they're really good. They've lost both of their games to Duke. Um, obviously, when you look at Duke, it, their kind of future depends on Zion's health and when and if he comes back, so it's kind of hard to handicap them. Um, I think North Carolina is really good. Um, they weren't expected to quite be this good. They've, they, they've got two top freshmen, one of whom is their point guard, who had like 35 tonight against Syracuse, and then their their big recruit, Nasir Little, has not lived up to expectations, but he's a physical specimen, um, and he's dangerous, but they've got a bunch of other guys, you know, they still got this guy, Luke May, who, who helped lead them to a championship as a freshman four years mm-hmm. ago, they got this guy, Cam Johnson, I really think Roy Williams is one of the best coaches in the country. Uh, if I had to pick a team to win it all right now, I think I would pick North Carolina. I just, I really like their okay. team. They're really good offensively. They're inconsistent defensively, but I expect them to be dialed in as they get to the big dance. Uh, you mentioned Kentucky. Uh, we haven't mentioned any of the Big Ten teams. Uh, I, both. Michigan. And you know what? I was gonna say when we when we got there that uh, the one thing I know that they have faltered recently. But John Beeline can coach, and Michigan no is going to be da- is going to be dangerous every year in the tournament. And uh, just because they're they're sputtering a little bit now, they could easily make a run and get back to the championship. Yeah, game. they're not even sputtering that much. They lost at home on Sunday to Michigan State, who's really good. Uh, their big yeah. man ha- ha- like broke his thumb or something, but I think he'll be back. Uh, they're both tough. Uh, Wisconsin's pretty good in the Big Ten. Um, but the Big Ten isn't great. The ACC and SEC are the two best conferences. They're the m- deepest, and we'll each get somewhere between seven and nine teams in the dance. The Big 12 is a little down. Uh, Kansas hasn't been dominant, but they're still pretty good. Uh, you mentioned Texas Tech. They're pretty good. Iowa State's pretty good. Uh, Texas is pretty good. Kansas State's pretty good. So they've got some teams, as they always do, but they're, they're not quite as good as the SEC or the ACC, and they're probably not quite as good as the Big Ten, although that's debatable. Uh, and then there are some mid-majors. You, you Obviously, Gonzaga's there. They're not really even a mid-major anymore. You mentioned Nevada. Yeah. Uh, Buffalo's really good. I know I think Wofford and Lipscomb are really good, as well as uh, UNC Greensboro. And then there's that team, I think, is it Murray State, that has the kid Morant, Morant 
who's expected to go in the top three. Oh, yeah, John Morant. Yeah, John Morant. Is he on Murray State? I think he is. Yeah, he is a Murray State racer. Yeah, so, you know, he's another guy to watch out for. Then the other team, we're kind of going down the list here. I don't even have the rankings out. I'm just doing this from memory. Uh, Marquette's really good. And they've got this guy, Marcus Howard, who's one of the best scorers in the country. Villanova had been really good uh, in the Big East, but they've lost like three or four in a row now. Uh, the defending champs. St. John's, it looks like, is going to make the tournament for the first time with Chris Mullen uh, and St. Son as his top assistant. So uh, that'll be kind of fun to watch, too. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, but that that's kind of the, the run of the country here. But I, I really, uh, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, having not drank uh, for five weeks heading into March, I think it's a good move because I'm going to have a big March it's looking like, you know, we're going to have my birthday. Then it looks like I'm going to get to go to at least one of the days uh, of the big dance in San Jose. They have the first and second round. I really just want to go on that Friday and see four games in one day. So it looks like I'm going to be able to do that with a couple buddies. Then the Sweet 16 weekend, uh, one of my friends is having a bachelor party in South Lake Tahoe. So it looks like I'm going to be in the book for the Sweet 16 weekend, which I'm really looking forward to as well. So it's looking like a big march for me, uh, and I'm, I'm really excited for it. I, I feel like I'm as excited for the big dance this year as I ever am, and I'm always really excited for the big dance. It's just great. I mean, I know you agree. We've, we've watched the big dance together several times. It, it is there's nothing like it, particularly that first weekend, but really the first two weekends. It's it's just so awesome, uh, and, I, and I love it so much. And you know what I just realized, Michael? For the first time since I work an AM radio show that gets off the air at 9 a.m., yep, I, know I think going. I'll be able to wa- watch all, every minute of every game unimpeded, essentially. I mean, I'll have to drive home or drive to a bar, but yeah, you for need the to most part... Start scouting where you're uh, going to watch You know that first Thursday. Yeah, yeah. That's going to be... That's an mm. important thing to I'm excited, Michael. It's going to be great. I'm excited. That'll that'll put us to sleep with some sweet dreams. No doubt. Um, All right. That does it. Buck and Sack show in the books. We appreciate everyone listening to this hour and a half. We're coming up right here on an hour and a half. So that's enough. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. (laughs) We love you. Sleep tight, everybody. Good night. That's enough. See you later.